X-rated movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I am the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. And together we are X's. <laughs> Two guys that used to date and now we don't. Now we just yammer on about production design, soundtracks, casting agents. Really the, the, the unsung parts of movie making. That's what we're all about here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Never directors. <laughs> what do those people do anyway? We'll, we'll just go whole podcast without even mentioning the, the big D. Yeah. <laughs> N- no, that not our podcast. Nah. <laughs> no. Uh, how are you, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Re- oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm coming off a long work week. Oh, okay. A lot of work. Also, the weather's nice, so when the weather's nice, the bar tends to bloom with people <laughs> like an algae oh okay <laughs> so uh it's nice For where you work that's actually a very apt metaphor <laughs> it's nice because it means more money and that i'm busy but it also uh really kind of makes me hate humanity <laughs> so yeah you've always told me that uh because you have a, a patio area mm-hmm. and boy once like the first nice weather of spring hits people get like possessive of that area i'm realizing this year too that i think it's worse in the springtime than the actual summertime because it's like as soon as it's nice people want to go out Mm -hmm. like all the time yeah but you know as the summer kind of wears on and they kind of get used to the warm weather they're off going to the beach or whatever it's also seattle so like by the time it gets like closing in on 80 degrees like we're collectively over it yeah 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 yeah. so you know once summer's in full swing we're just like i don't want to be in the sun i'll get sunburned for god's sake (laughs) you know then you start seeing everyone posting that picture of sigourney weaver hugging a pumpkin Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know i'm gonna post that now and see what people say (laughs) and i kind of get it like uh, coming from a bar patron point of view, mm-hmm. I get it because the first like couple weeks where the weather's sunny and warm and nice, it's just like this breath of fresh air. Like we've all been cooped up inside all winter, hibernating, just struggling to make it through these like bitter cold winters. And then we have this like nice, beautiful ray of sunlight through the darkened clouds. Well, from a bartender's perspective, <laughs> why not take a, at least a couple weeks in there? during the long dark winters to um study up on uh, how to order drinks because <laughs> it's not that hard and uh you know i got a line so <laughs> let's get this moving uh what are your top pet peeves about uh drink ordering? oh god okay ordering mixer before the uh liquor who orders a, a tonic and, and gin like it's just i don't understand it that sounds like some white people nonsense <laughs> also you don't have to tell me the name brand and what kind of liquor it is. Like, you know, oh, like a Hendrix and tonic. Yeah, Hendrix and tonic. I don't need to hear gin and tonic and I'll have the gin be Hendrix. Like, I know what Hendrix is. Do you ever get people ordering conflicting things? Like, I'll have a whiskey straight up on rice in a bucket glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did have somebody yesterday order a uh, Paloma with tequila. And I uh, rejected the urge to educate them that a Paloma is, by definition, a tequila drink. Oh. (laughs) Okay, so ordering things poorly. What's bad line etiquette? Bad line etiquette is, at least at our bar, I don't know, maybe other bars are nicer about this, but cutting the line to say, oh, I'm just closing out my tab. Do people really pull that? Yeah, people try to just like, they're like, somebody else 
the next person in line will step up and they'll say, oh, excuse me, I'm just closing out. And then turn to me and say, can I close my tab? And I'll say, line's back there. <laughs> no, that's rude. I mean, that's why I usually just pay with cash at bars. Yeah. Because I don't want to get into a line to close out my tab. I acknowledge that is the price that you have to pay. Yeah. Like, you know, and especially if it's busy, like waiting all that time in line just to close out your tab. Like, I get your frustration, people, but plan ahead. Yeah. The other side of that coin is that um, people just close it ever, after every drink. And so that's really annoying because then it slow, that slows up the line in its own way. Mm-hmm. Or the, oh, I'll forget it if I leave it. <laughs> How about you take some responsibility <laughs> for your card instead of pushing the responsibility off on me? Also, something that's been happening a lot is um, careful with edibles at bars. Mm. I think that that's been happening a lot where people will have a drink or two, eat an edible, and still be, you know, they'll seem fine after that second drink, and then they come up for that third one, and it is like wobble city. Mm. You know? You gotta be careful with those kids. Yeah. How do those old nursery rhymes on, on drug intake go? It's like... Weed than beer, you're in the clear. Beer than grass, you're on your ass. Mm. But yeah, those, I mean, those are my main ones. Know what you want, too. Oh. Like, that's another one where people, they've been in line for a good 10 minutes. They show up and they're like, um, what do I want? (laughs) What do we want, guys? (laughs) And I kind of get that one. Sometimes you're just chatting and you forget to think about that stuff, but like. This is why bartenders are surly. Now, I, I pride myself on, because, uh, you know, my decade in uh, working in retail, I've, like, mastered the art of the quick transaction. Some people who work retail a lot are, like, super nice to their clerks. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the opposite. I'm not, like, a dick to my clerk. But, like, some are like, hi, how are you? How's your day? And I'm like, mm. I was always like, let's uh, make this as quick and as painless as yes. possible. Oh, my God. Especially when I'm like, they'll people throw a drink order at me of several drinks, and I'm trying to keep that all in my head. And they're like, "How are you doing? Uh-huh. Like, don't talk. Don't. I don't want to chat with you." <laughs> uh, but no, I, I went on a hike one time, and I, we had to get a forest day pass. And it's like you know five bucks or something. And you know, out near the hiking trail, you can you you know you can go to like a ranger station and get one. But there's also like gas stations or convenience stores that also will sell them. Mm-hmm. And so we were stopping at it just like a little convenience store that that sold four day passes and my friend her recollection of it like for me i went in and bought one and gave him the five dollars and they gave me a four day pass and i was on my way but my friend who was driving her recollection of it was like i walk in and it's like a a, a simpson style cut where you walk in and immediately walk out <laughs> like without like a revolving door yeah with <laughs> no time lapse between them and she goes like you literally couldn't have had time to talk to anyone <laughs> Uh, but I was like, no, went in and I just got it done and I walked out like no need to extend it out any further. But yeah, she said like she couldn't even change the radio station while waiting for me. As soon as you opened the door, you just shouted forest day pass, please. <laughs> and they handed it to you. Like, well, that's how money. she illustrated it. She's like, I just imagined that you walked in. And was like, oh my God, I need a forest day pass. Give me the drink. Here's your $5 to give it to me now. And he was like, oh my God, here you go. Take it, go. <laughs> It's also how I eat meals when I'm out uh, camping or hiking. We stopped at like a restaurant like on the way there or on the way back, I guess. I didn't realize how hungry I was. Mm. And I just, I just ordered a burger and fries. It was just like, you know, Greasy Spoon diner t- place. And I ate my burger so quickly that my friend goes, Matt, did you just order fries? <laughs> I'm a little worried about your camping habits. <laughs> 
that I just starve myself yeah. and <laughs> yell at people for forest day passes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I kind of want to go camping with you now just to see it for myself. But <laughs> well, yeah, uh, like a year or two later, uh, when I went uh, camping with the same group, uh, one of them goes, I want you to order a burger and fries again so I can watch you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not a sideshow. <laughs> Burger and fries? <laughs> I'll get the burger and fries, but it's because I want it. Thank you. We have a tasty beverage here today. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, whenever we do a double feature, I try to come up with a special cocktail. And this one uh, goes along with our director that we've chosen to celebrate today. We are drinking flamingos. And they turned out uh, sort of salmon pink, if you will. Yeah, you're supposed to use um, grenadine in it to give it that color. But I didn't want to buy a bottle of grenadine, so I just use cranberry juice. Oh, okay. Um, It's a little different flavor. Get rid of my UTI. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, it's a rum-based cocktail, a little pineapple juice, a little lime, a little cranberry juice. Very simple. I think I'm going to make it a little bigger next time. This is like a shot. So. Yeah, but it's tasty. It's very, like, really, unless you told me there was liquor in it, I would just think that it was, you know, really potent juice. Yeah, I was worried it was going to be uh, too sweet, but it's actually not too bad. No. It's sweet, but it's not sugary, I guess, because you didn't use grenadine. Mm-hmm. It's one of those drinks that, you know... You'd feed one of those uh, baby boomers that can't handle the taste of real alcohol, mm-hmm. but uh, isn't like a mudslide, <laughs> you know. It actually, you know, you can put real liquor in it and it will still taste good. I think another name for this could also be the fun ant, if you wanted. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the the ant that you get a little boozy with on uh-huh. Fridays when you've turned uh, uh, 21 for the first time. Yeah. And you realize, oh, you always drink this. <laughs> She's like, you can't have a sip of this juice, honey. Not until you're 21. Mm-hmm. All right, a little one. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, here you go. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about John Waters. That's right, damn it. American treasure John Waters. He is an American treasure. <sighs> you know, I consider him to be a, an important American artist. I'm going to lump him in with like David Byrne as just somebody who hmm. really speaks American to me. does. It's true. So, like, on True Stories, like, True Stories is sort of, you know, an American movie. Mm -hmm. Because it kind of speaks to that American heartland sort of values or or takes an anthropological look at that type of Americana. John Waters has his own unique views on blue-collar, everyday Americana. Yep, yep, yep. And I think both these movies kind of look at it from a different perspective. Sure. Different different points in his life, we'll say. Sure. He does films, but he's also created, like, lots of writing, and he's done uh, visual art. He was just in Seattle recently for just a one-person show. Yeah. He just tells stories, too. He does all sorts of stuff. He did, like, a performance art thing where he hitchhiked across the United States. I I remember that, book about that. So, like, he does all sorts of kind of... I, I saw him of on one of the late night shows. Uh, I'm going to guess it was Letterman, where he was talking about hitchhiking across the country. Obviously, like if you're a petite woman, you might not want to take this advice. But he was like, no, fuck the safety standards. Just do it. <laughs> He's like, 
No, it was fine. I hitchhiked across the country, and I never once felt unsafe. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a dude, older dude. Like, probably no one's trying to R him at this point in his life. Yeah. You know. He's also white. He's also white. So, you know, not totally, like, sound advice, but I also know, like, women who have hitchhiked or used to regularly hitchhike. Mm. So, you know, it might be that the dangers are overstated with hitchhiking, but... You know, that being said, you should probably also acknowledge that there are dangers in hitchhiking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like the cut of his jib. I think he's just really smart as a yeah. person. Mm-hmm. He's funny. He just kind of sees through bullshit. He just doesn't suffer fools. And he's really unapologetic about all these things. Yeah. And, I mean, you can't say that he's, like, compromised his art for anyone Mm -mm. even when like we're gonna talk about it later but hairspray was his first sort of like mainstream movie it doesn't not feel like a john waters movie yeah and uh you know i only got around to watching hairspray for the first time uh, and we'll talk about why when we get to the movie yeah he if you're gonna have an artistic career someone like john waters should be kind of something to aspire to. Sure. Like art just in writing and film and just visuals outside of cinema. Uncompromising and singular. Yeah. I think you could say. And yeah, he's always put like his values before anything else. You know, I wish we all could do that. He's like the baby from dinosaurs. You gotta love him. <laughs> Did the baby and dinosaurs say that? I'm the baby, gotta love me. Oh. Yeah. I just remember, not the mom. Yeah, he had several catchphrases. Wow, that was just a factory show, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Kevin Clash did that. This guy did El- Elmo. Oh, oh, you're right, you're right, yeah. yeah. And Jessica Walters, of course, voice of the mom. There was another weird one on there that I was like, oh shit, that person did that voice. Uh, What's his name? Sherman Hemsley did the voice of the boss. Like who's, whatever. Who's Sherman Hemsley? From the Jeffersons. Oh, he, he was the dad's boss okay. at the construction site. Okay. Crazy. <laughs> Did you ever see the last episode of Dinosaurs? Where they go extinct? Yeah. It's it fucked like, up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that show had, like, dark turns. Yeah. Because there's one where they have to, like, perform a ritual, like, in their tribe or Killing in their the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, the heaving or something, or the great tossing. Yeah. Or... Once they hit, like, a certain age, they just kill their dinosaurs off. Right. But she gets to survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the dad was all excited to throw her off a cliff. Yeah. Pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Anyway, well, okay, that so... That was a tangent. Yeah, woof. What are we talking... We're talking about today, we're talking about desperate living, and we're talking about... Hairspray. Hairspray. I almost said showgirls. <laughs> Sorry. Well, uh, is there one in particular you want to talk about first? I'd like to do it chronologically, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. That's the order I watched them in. Uh, same here. Okay. 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 Uh, Desperate Living. Very, uh, very John Watersy. Act three of the Trash Trilogy, as people like to say, of Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, and Desperate, Desperate Living. Living. Uh, yeah, and I thought I had seen this one before, but I don't think I have. Okay. You uh, knew stuff about it, though. Like, you right. 
talked about Mortville in our conversation. And that's because uh, my friends Anouk Roxon and Ben Gazy one, at one point turned Pony into Mortville for an art project. Oh, okay. And they like, you know, put a bunch of trash everywhere and they had a friend dress up as Queen Carlotta okay. and they like a lot of people were selling goods. And this shirt actually is from that. Oh, the ra- two rats. Yeah, two, two rats. rats. We'll take a picture. We'll put it on Instagram. But yeah, like the rats in the... Um, on the poster or opening credit scene, if you care to think of it's, it that way. It's, it's a oneer. It is but, a oneer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that trilogy, this is definitely the one with the biggest budget. This is sure. like a costume drama of sorts. There's yeah. A castle. And I mean, the castle is obviously made of cardboard. <laughs> I was thinking it was kind of like a fantasy movie uh, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, a little bit. You know, John Waters has said that Alice in Wonderland was like the movie that like made the biggest impression on him. Oh, oh I thought it was Wizard of Oz. Or I, Yeah, what did I say? Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, and be- I had that note that it's like, is this like Wizard of Oz? Is I'm, he doing something? It is a little bit. With Wizard of Oz, like, it had an impression on him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he liked it a whole bunch, I guess mm-hmm. I should say, mm-hmm. because he he said that like as like a little gay boy seeing it for the first time, even at a young age, like it was it, everyone knew, including him, that he was queer. And he always felt that at the end of Wizard of Oz, he was like, why the fuck would she go back to Kansas? <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, this is where she belongs. She should stay here. Yeah, for sure. With all the weirdos. and In color. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, Mortville's kind of got that. Like, they would rather just take over Mortville than go back to Baltimore. Yeah. Well, the weird thing I felt about it this time was that we don't get introduced to, like, the heroes of the story until we get to Mortville. You think it's we're going to be following Peggy or Griselda. Yeah. And it turns out that they're not the main characters, kind of. Or they're kind of the main Kind of, but not really. Like, uh, Liz Renee kind of ends up being the main character. Yeah. So John Waters, he's got sort of a fascination with true crime. Okay. You know, <laughs> hence, like, Patty Hearst being in some of his movies. Uh-huh. No, please. Fashion has changed. Especially the, this trilogy of, like, female trouble. I mean, all of his early movies kind of revolve around someone committing a crime and, mm-hmm. then, like, having to run away, really. I mean, maybe not Pink Flamingos, but there's definitely other unsavory elements to pink flamingos yep but uh this one and female trouble uh the kickstarter is a woman committed a crime and they have to run away mm-hmm. and here it's the the maid who kills the husband mink stole's husband <laughs> sitting on him and <laughs> boy you know john waters there's a couple points in here where it's like you know john waters is definitely fighting against the concepts of traditional good taste uh-huh. but he i mean he hired this woman because she was big uh-huh. like that was a job requirement to be like 300 pounds yeah and we see oliver oh yeah and uh, yeah but she has to sit on the husband's face and she just digs into it. <laughs> down, 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 down. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It looks like uh, she was really hitting him with that broom, too. Yeah, a lot. Several hits with yeah, that broom. Like, she didn't hold back. 
the house in this opening scene, John Waters' real parents' home. Oh, okay. Uh, they did no set dressing. Everything in it was how his parents decorate their house. Oof, that carpet was so <laughs> <No>. green. <laughs> but this is like just so classic, like, you know, post-war baby boom Americana, yeah. you know. Like, it's just, it embodies that so much. I mean, I mentioned this last episode, but like production design is super important to John Waters movies. <laughs> and like this one, definitely the difference between like the house in the in the beginning and then the house that they end up living in with. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't remember her name, their names, but um, the just, two lesbians. Yeah, yeah. Just that trashy house. But like the way the production design is so colorful and so lush in its trashiness. I don't know. It was really kind of great to just look around the whole frame is just filled with with something interesting to look at of his earlier stuff this definitely feels the most bright and colorful yeah i mean pink flamingos and female trouble were colorful too but this one definitely feels vibrant yeah in its colorfulness you got a little better film stock this time or something <laughs> uh but liz renee she kind of has like a true crime background too oh she ran away from home and one prize money in a Marilyn Monroe lookalike contest. Really? Yeah, and she used it to like flee to the opposite side of the country, but like her it must have been a big contest or something because it like drew the attention of like a mobster and she was like a mobster's like girlfriend for a while and the mobster got caught and they tried to squeeze her for information and she refused to cooperate. Oh my god. So she spent 3 years in jail. Oh my god. And she wrote a biography uh, about being in jail and what led her to there and it got published and for like his birthday John Waters got this book and just found her like totally fascinating. And that's why he put her in the movies. It's like I want this woman to be in one of my movies someplace. Wow. And apparently how she is in the movie isn't far removed from how she is in real life. Near the end when she's, like, wearing, like, the the fur and just, like, the bikini underneath it. Hey, Officer Cutie Pie, there's someone down here to see you. And they're like, no, this is basically how she acts all the time. <laughs> uh, Do you think she talks to her boobs? Hi, big boys. I bet you didn't know that mommy won the Maryland lottery. Yes. I'm going to be buying you lots of new push-up bras. So get ready for your new home. Things are going to be looking up for you, too. I mean, I've seen people kind of be like, come on, girls, let's do this or something. But mm-hmm. like, I don't think I've ever seen that, that prolonged of a conversation with like, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. <laughs> Burton Ernie in it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, she uh I guess she likes showing off her body. Yeah. Uh she, she lets a cockroach walk on her butt. Yeah. I guess there was supposed to be like a jar of cockroaches and it was like the Ooh. bed was supposed to just be like riddled with them. Ooh, but like no, when, no. Yeah, when they filmed it it was just like one crawled across her butt. And, uh, yeah, they wanted, a, like, a whole, like, swarm of them. Eek. And, yeah, I know. No. How does John Waters get people to do these things? I don't know. This movie, yeah, especially, like, where he's, like, when the uh, Griselda and Peggy are tied up meeting Carlotta for the first time, and they're, like, shoving roaches in their mouth. Come on, eat them. Eat them. Swallow this goddamn thing. Eat them. 
those like uh, leather daddy guards are actually like putting their fingers in their mouths and stuff. And it's like, I don't know if I would sign up for that. I don't know <laughs> if I'd be okay with that. Well, it wasn't in this movie, but one of one of John Waters' movies, like Mink Stole, actually lit her hair on fire. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there is the lovemaking scene between uh, uh, Mink Stole and the, the other woman. Yeah. And poof. You know, you can only fake so much. <laughs> Ming Stoll's just this skinny little white girl next to this 300-pound black woman. Like, yeah. it's it's a sight. It's it is. a sight. And, the, and it's funny because that scene, he's, he's uh, I don't know, intercuts with another lesbian sex scene. And I was like, I wonder if anybody thought these were sexy scenes. <laughs> <sighs> huh, yeah, I mean, because Muffy's like having an explosive orgasm, and uh, I'm just wondering if anybody saw that and was like, "Hmm, I should, I should try having a woman go down on me." Yeah, because, uh, well, I don't know how to broach this part tastefully, but Mole at one point gets bottom surgery essentially, uh-huh. and gets like a dick, and it is the least appetizing dick I've ever seen. How would how would you describe it? it? Kind of looks like an inside out dick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, it's pretty bad. And so she cuts it off. Yeah, because she tries having sex with Muffy, and Muffy doesn't like it. And so yeah, she cuts it. She vomits from it. <laughs> yes, right. It's like, Ugh. <laughs> uh, you uh, think barf is funny, don't you? <laughs> I do. I'm pretty good, but um. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. That went really far. <laughs> yeah, then they cut it off, and then the dog eats it. Yeah, <laughs> this movie, like he, he always takes it like one or two steps too far. Like when they're in the wrestling match, and she knocks the guy's eyeball out, mm-hmm. and you see it like roll off his face, and then she stomps on it. Uh-huh. It's like the stomping was just like one step too far for me. I don't know why. <laughs> so this is where I think him being American comes into play because this is really him just raging against American good taste. Like mm-hmm. it's like he specifically picked like the values that like we hold sacred and we'll clutch our pearls about. And he's just like, how far yeah. can I do this? I love, Oh yeah. I mean, one of my favorite lines is after she's cut off her, her dick and uh, some friends come in and they see like this bloody area down there. Uh-huh. And she's like, Holy shit. Mom, what happened to you? Oh, Muffy just gave me an abortion. There's sort of a, a, a I don't want to say poetry to John Waters' dialogue, but there's a definite colorful flair. I mean, you're going to have a great time putting oh in, my God. in quotes. Most of my notes are quotes from the movie. Seize her and fuck her! Mount me if you must, but not a kiss! Oh, God! The children are having sex! Oh, God, this is fun! Hi, stupid! Hi, ugly! Don't tell me I don't know what Vietnam is like. We killed your husband, and I ain't your maid anymore, bitch. I'm your sister in crime. I don't want no white man looking at my tampons. Go home to your mother. Doesn't she ever watch you? Tell her this isn't some communist daycare center. Tell your mother I hate her. Tell your mother I hate you! As discombobulated as John Waters' movies seem to be, he actually, I guess, has a reputation for being a taskmaster. 
that he doesn't approve of improvisation mm. on camera. Like you work everything out beforehand. But for the most part, you're supposed to stick with his dialogue, which he hand writes everyone's script. Oh my God. <laughs> but because, you know, film's expensive. Yeah. And they were always operating on a low budget. So it was like, there was no time to find the scene in the moment. Like yeah. you just had to show up and be ready to shoot because they just didn't have the money for bullshit. So yeah, he, he, from my understanding, ran a pretty tight ship and he didn't tolerate like tardiness from his cast and crew. Like if you couldn't show up on time, ready to work, then you just weren't going to be a part of the movie, which once again, you can't tell that from the weirdos and freaks that he works with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You'd think it'd be like just a waking nightmare on a like a scheduling basis. Oh, but... or just kind of it's like crawling cats, you know? Yeah. Like, forget about it. But no, I guess he was he was pretty good at getting that. He he had a strong work ethic, and he wanted the people that he worked with to also have a work ethic. I like the idea that Edith Massey is punctual. <laughs> She loved this role because most of the time she's just lying in bed uh-huh. or being like carried around by men. <laughs> I love that her little cart has a bike horn on it. She's like, <laughs> meep, 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 meep. all right, all right, oh, get out of the way. Come on, come on, come on, hurry. I don't know where John Waters finds these people. I don't either. Edith Mass. Show me that love muscle. <laughs> go, Daddy, go all night. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Although her little sex slaves were pretty hot. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure those were all just, like, men he knew from some Baltimore gay bar, you know? Yeah. Really, everyone in the movie is just, like, his friends or friends of friends or people that his friends are banging. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Both times when she, like, is, like, making men get naked for her, I'm like, oh, good job, yeah. <laughs> queen. I definitely wasn't sad about the second one. I don't remember the first one enough. Both were looking good to me. But Edith Massey, you know, I just... Kudos to her, you know... <laughs> I know that this is like a backhanded compliment, but that is some brave work right there. (laughs) I like Edith Massey, even though she's like not a good actress. Oh, no. (laughs) But she's a lot of fun. She is. And she's a sight to behold. She's just unique features. Like she kind of looks a little childlike mm-hmm. she, like she never she's not tall and she's just kind of round the way that like a baby is round and she never like grew out of her roundness mm-hmm. and there's stuff in the movie that kind of accentuates it like when she's sitting on her throne like her legs don't go to the floor right they just kind of swing there like a kid would like yeah. sitting in a adult's chair she yeah she's pretty good with physicality because at one point they roll her up to the bed and they just sort of like roll her yep. off onto it yep. it's like i got it <laughs> I don't know. She must know, have an idea of what she looks like. I don't think she does. Oh, I think in her head, she's a star. <laughs> this is like a Norma Desmond situation oh, here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Poor Edith. She's great in this movie, though. Like, she's oh, perfect yeah. as Queen Carlotta. Uh, we have to talk about Mink Stoll, too. As who's, like, like, been in every single John Waters movie. Yeah. I think every single one. Yeah. She's real yelly in this but um i love the moment when she becomes the princess let me be the new princess your majesty i have seen the human trash of mortville and i share your contempt for this town oh my god that makes so much sense i didn't see it coming either Mm. but i was like oh yeah of course you should be the new princess yeah that makes a lot of sense she has like a pretty big character arc i guess from like manic screaming housewife to (laughs) You know, uh, evil 
witch yeah, of the evil West. Evil witch, the Snow White style. Yeah. Like, she's got that cauldron. And, <laughs> and, and Mink Stole is one of those people that's like, you know, when you look at her, she looks kind of normal. Yeah. Like, Edith Massey, you're like, oh, this person belongs on a John Waters movie. <laughs> but with Mink Stole, you're like, oh, she could play, like, the mom in some soap opera or something like that. Like, sure. she's got a very normal appearance to her but yeah. she's in every john waters thing and he gets her to do just these crazy things yeah uh and this one it's the sex scene with gene hill she takes off her panties at one point too and gives them to that police officer and they have like blood stains on them and stuff <laughs> yeah. like was that a production design choice or was that just the one she was wearing because <sighs> yeah yikes. that whole scene with the cop is real uncomfortable it's like <sighs> Not only is the cop, like, trying to, like, molest them, but he's got to be weird about it. <laughs> I love to feel a cold nylon on my big butt. Yeah. I, when that scene started started up, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what we're in for with this. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like, we're talking about it now, and I'm, like, very excited about it and happy. But, like, watching it was not a fun experience. No, it's not particularly pleasant to watch but I do like it a lot. When I look back to see when I watched it the first time, it was actually on Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Like, I watched it that morning. Oh, jeez. And uh, I was like, oh, well, this ends sort of with a Thanksgiving feast. Yeah. Okay, so I was thinking about this. It's like a very misanthropic movie for most of it. But at the end, it's very life-affirming somehow. <laughs> like, by the end, I, w- I was feeling like, yeah, They're everything's all celebrating great. and Yeah, it felt, it felt like a happy ending. Whereas... Like but I mean, if they of... all ate Edith Massey, because wasn't she like injected with a rabies? Well, yeah, her daughter bit her, and she had the rabies thing. So. Yeah, so you know, if they all ate her, then they'd all get rabies and die. Yeah, maybe. Unless... But it felt—I don't know—but it's just like the end. The overall feeling at the end feels very lighthearted somehow. After that, yeah, yeah, it's like the end of like Back to School, where they put on you know Journey song and everyone's dancing for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but no, everyone seems pretty happy. I don't know. I liked that about it, I suppose. <laughs> Have you ever seen boobs in a glory hole? <laughs> Not before this. I was no. gonna, like, is that a thing? Like, I, I doubt it. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, glory holes with dicks, like, of course, we've all seen them hundreds of times. <laughs> um, Daily basis. <laughs> but uh, the two glory holes in the stall that were, like, meant for boobs, like, A... You'd have to have a a nice pair to like get them through mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to if, to have it you know work at all. But B, I just is there a lot of appeal in that? Like, I don't know. Do you want to grow boobs through a hole in a stall? I guess you know if you were asked like, does someone want to suck a dick through a hole in a stall? People do. Yeah, people do. So uh, I don't know the boobs thing. I was like, is that is that something straight people do? Straight or people. lesbians? Chime in, yeah. I haven't been to the Wild Rose in several years, so I, I don't know if they've added that. But um, Yeah, I didn't use the, the ladies' room there, so I don't know if there's boob glory holes or not. But Would they still be called a glory hole? What else would they be called? Aerial hole? Aerial hole? Areolas, areolas, areolas. No, that's no. Areolas, areolas. Yeah. Wow, that is terrible. <laughs> um, here comes the hashtag. <laughs> God. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there's just something about that. I was like, that seems highly impractical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you'd have to get the height and the width 
and I don't. E- I barely know how a bra works. I don't either. Like it, it's. You'd have to take the bra off. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just meant in size, like cupping a breast, like because it's not just the size, but it's like the space between them. Right. And that like works into this the. I I mean, you need an engineering degree just to buy a bra, right. as far as I know. <laughs> Mole buys a bra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, he writes good dialogue, I feel. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. I can't get over how not fun it was to watch this today. <laughs> but, I mean, I was laughing, but I was also like, oh, God, this is just, like, scraping by. But then as soon as it was over, and, like, now that we're talking about it, too, I'm like, I really liked it. Yeah. I, I mean, can't explain that phenomenon. Because he's, like, specifically railing against good taste, like, that is really what this movie exists to be. If these like puritanical standards of good taste didn't exist, he wouldn't have made this movie. Mm-hmm. So, the parts that like make me squeamish, like the uh, between uh, like Gene Hill and Ming Stoll, like their sex scene, mm-hmm. like he's obviously putting it in to like make people uncomfortable. Sure, but I'm like, well, is that really? That's sort of exploitive of like her size and her color. Yeah, but that's also the point. Like, she must be on board with it. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like this wasn't like John Waters' first rodeo here right like, yeah i mean the trans dick cutting scene yeah i was like you know i would never accuse john waters of being transphobic but poof, that's definitely exploitative yeah if not you know not transphobic necessarily but he's definitely doing that to uh exploit people's like fear and or fascination with such things yeah this is the type of person that he is he was looking at actual pictures of bottom surgeries from that time oh and he he was like i want to make it look like that because he thought that they looked awful oh yeah oh no yeah and so that's like why he made it look that way he's like yeah i I wanted it to look the way that they actually looked in real life yikes and then i don't know that just all that stuff was like oh man maybe i'm like being puritanical or something yeah uh that is like he set out to put that exact thing in there like that so hmm. mission accomplished john God, there's i mean there's so much in this movie too now that i'm thinking back on it i mean we haven't even talked about princess cuckoo and the nudists so um, like yeah i actually really like okay so i here i'll say it this way there's a couple of scenes where i was like okay this actually is a good filmmaker at work here like one is when they go to the nudist colony and they're just like kind of having an exposition about um just life and stuff they're like hey how's it going and then like you keep seeing like naked people run across in the foreground uh-huh. like pogo sticking across <laughs> at least you don't have to participate in backwards day i know i'm surprised the queen didn't order me to wear my vagina backwards and i'm like oh that's fun like you're not really getting distracted by the nudity but it's like peppered in there mm-hmm. that's good filmmaking i think the wrestling scene is great oh the, sure like, um he manages to like get the feel of, of an exciting like wrestling match kind of thing and and you know it's kind of actiony almost even with like bouncing off the ropes and things like that and it looks like a real wrestling match yeah and he must have like really knew that these scenes were important or, or something because a lot of it is just like camera on a tripod or whatever filming you know very little camera movement right but yeah especially the wrestling scene like that has like dynamic camera angles and you know different angles and things like that like it it's shot in a more dynamic way but you know john waters like he was punk rock like this movie came out like 1977 yeah and i don't know where he got funding for shit but you know 
he did it his way. Yeah. Like he just made these like short, aggressive movies. It's great. And it's beautiful too. Like when at the end, when Carlotta's being dethroned, I suppose, just the way it's framed and the blocking is going on, mm. it looks like a painting mm. for a minute. Like she's on the bed and she looks very small. And then these like five lesbians look very strong and uh-huh. powerful over her. And uh, it's just, I don't know, I, it really struck me that, like, wow, he has a really good eye for framing. Because you wouldn't think that based on how well people are acting or how good the production design is and things like that. It kind of looks, you know, trashy. But mm-hmm. this is somebody who actually has an artistic eye. Yeah, and, I mean, John Waters, as far as I know, is self-taught. Like, he didn't go to film school. or he I think he enrolled in film school and he hated it, so yeah. he dropped out. yeah. So he, he just watched a bunch of movies and, you know, movies were tougher to come by in, in the, you know, 60s and 70s. You had to before. go to the cinema. Yeah. And just, I don't know how often they did screens of shit in Baltimore, you know, but, you know, he just watched uh, like arty movies and trash films and just kind of drew from both. Yeah. But you talking about how, you know, John Waters is actually like going at this from like a director's standpoint, like he's concerned about blocking and framing and things like that uh i think that kind of leads us into to hairspray a little bit yeah um, well before we get there mm. should we pause and have another cocktail yes why don't we uh take him being an actual director as a time to to cool our jets and refill our tanks Segway. Uh, what other John Waters movies, aside from the two that you've seen today, or t- t- for today's podcast, have you seen? I don't seen like how you like... insinuated I watched them today. You said, <laughs> Desperate Living, when I watched this today. <laughs> All right, fine. Guilty as charged. What other ones have I seen? I've seen a good amount. I've seen Pink Flamingos, Cry Baby, Serial Mom, Pecker, Cecil B. Demented. Okay. So it's all those 90s ones. Um, and then I've just kind of slowly been going back into the more illustrious ones. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, late last year, I went and just watched all of them over the course of a couple months. And for the most part, I like all of them. Mm-hmm. He's so smart and interesting that I kind of look past some of the film's shortcomings. I think the only one that I actively didn't like was Pecker. Okay. I thought that was a little tepid, even though there's like a gay strip club in that movie where like Pecker works. Yeah. It still just didn't hold it for me. But John Waters is a person. I don't know. He's sort of like that character that he played in The Simpsons in Homer's Phobia. Uh-huh. And that's where Kent Brockman was caught cheating in the Springfield Marathon. Ooh. And there's where Lupe Velez bought the toilet she drowned in. Oh. That's sort of what he's like in real life. Like he loves true crime. He loves gossipy stuff. Loves kitsch, apparently. He loves kitsch. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of feel like how he was represented in The Simpsons. Like they all must have like knew John Waters from something and wrote that character with him in mind. Yeah. What's your favorite John Waters movie? What was the best one that you watched out of that group? Well, the two that we're doing today, honestly, yeah. like uh, of his early stuff, I like Desperate Living the best. Multiple Maniacs is good, but it's real rough. That was his first film. Mm-hmm. 
Female Trouble is good, but it gets a little screamy. Oh, okay. Pink Flamingos is the one that's a little too far down a certain road for me. This is a, that, that chicken killing scene. The chicken killing scene. The singing butthole. Singing butthole when she gives her son head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Edith Massey eating eggs. <laughs> that's too much for you? <laughs> all that. It just adds up. Yeah, it's all a bit much for me. <laughs> But it's fun to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, its reputation precedes it, and rightfully so. Oh, yeah. Uh, female Trouble's good, but it, yeah, it gets a little screamy for me. And Desperate Living, I feel, kind of hits that good stride where it's like weird and gross, but John Waters was actually also kind of concerned with set design and costuming and direction and things like that. Yeah. Pink Flamingos does not have that desire in it the only thing is is desperate living is missing divine yeah and like divine is just such an important part to a lot of john waters works yeah so, i mean if we're talking about divine we, when we when we get to hairspray here like we just have to talk about divine's performance in that because it's so different than any other divine performance um well i think we can just sort of talk about divine and segue into hairspray divine i mean Divine was ahead of her time. Like, there was no one like her before that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's been anyone like her since. Yeah. At least on the level of fame that Divine received. And I actually kind of got a little sad watching Hairspray, oh. her performance, because the actor was so big at that point and kind of looked unhealthy. That I don't know, and this was uh, Divine's last film role. Right, she died three weeks after the movie came out. Yeah, like that. it's like they were doing promotion for the movie and uh, died in their sleep. It just it made me real sad because it was getting to that point, like you know, Divine had become famous for a certain type of performance, but really wanted to be an actor and wanted to play men in roles too. Yeah. He plays a man in this yeah. and wanted more roles. And I guess had like landed a part like on Broadway or something Aww. where he was going to play a man and was very excited about it. And so it's just, it's, you know, it's tough. I mean, Divine just had a tough life, mm. you know, being a fat queer kid in Baltimore in the fifties and sixties, <laughs> like that couldn't be easy. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you get famous for being Divine, which is sort of a double-edged sword, you yeah. know? No one wants you to be you then. I will say I saw a documentary on Divine a couple of years ago. Divine always had the hottest fucking boyfriends. <laughs> yeah, she dated like like male porn stars and stuff like that. Like, And it was because, as John Waters puts it, uh, she wasn't afraid to, to uh, hear no. <laughs> like that drink just told you. <laughs> Divine would like go for like top shelf men. And one out of 50 would say yes. So, you know, good job. Because, yeah, there was a massive attractiveness disparity in the people that Divine dated. Hey, that's the lesson. Don't be afraid to ask. Also, I just, I love Divine, both of Divine's performances in this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I was kind of shocked at the amount of nuance that uh, he was able to squish into the mom character. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't have a ton to do. She, I mean, she has a fun character arc where she's... She's sort of like against the show at first, but then comes around and is actually like very excited about it. Once her daughter's on the show, yeah. she's real excited about it. But I mean there's there's this level of like concern 
for her daughter, but also this like, I've got to w- let her go too. Cause she's a, she's a growing girl. She's got to go out on her own. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, she just nails that combo, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like w- with very few lines, it's just the way that they're delivered. Uh, that makes you feel that, you know, like that's acting. That's, that's good acting. But there is somebody I've got a crush on. Oh, I'd like to know. She's just a child. Yeah. And the look that divine had in it was also very convincing because the movie isn't, super transgressive all by itself sure like on paper this is a role that would have been meant for just a uh, cis woman but backstage like you know or, or off camera i should say a lot of the people who didn't know divine like a lot of the kids and things like that thought that it was just a woman mm. that no one questioned it which i think also speaks to like the authenticity that divine would carry herself with yeah like while in costume and things like that and Jerry Stiller. Oh my god, I love him in this movie. He's hilarious. Jerry Stiller is a method actor, if you can believe it. <laughs> and <laughs> Wow, okay. And he insisted on like going to lunch with Divine and Jerry Stiller would bring his real life wife. I can't remember her name, but she, they they're like a famous comedy duo. Okay. I can't remember the wife's name, but but while they'd be out at lunch, Jerry Stiller would be treating Divine like his wife. Oh, wow. And, like, arm around shoulder or, like, hand on her thigh and things Aww. like that. Like, you didn't want to break character. That's so sweet. And it comes across because you get the sense that they do love each other. Yeah. <laughs> he's hilarious. When they do the twist, oh, my God, his twist is, like... <laughs> he's he's got <laughs> weird proportions. <laughs> like He's, like, jerking it really hard. His arms, <laughs> I think, are just, like, longer than what... Arms on a person should be. I don't know. There's something off about his body that that just works real well. I love, I mean, and I guess that that kind of goes for the whole tone of this movie, just while we're talking about this. It's like, it's such a warm movie for dealing with such a heavy subject. Well, what I really liked about this movie when I first saw it just a couple months ago was that John Waters looks back nostalgically because this would have been like when he was a teenager. Like he was probably roughly the same age as Tracy Turnblad. Mm-hmm. Uh, great names, by the way. <laughs> but he's clear-eyed about his nostalgia. He's not like, oh, this was simpler times. This is when America was truly great. He's like, no, no, no. Like we had great music, and like you know, television shows were fun. And it was exciting, but everyone was also crazy racist. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't let his nostalgia color the time like he looks back and he's like i don't know you know people didn't want the kids listening to black music and things like that and the corny collins show is based on a baltimore dance program that was like american bandstand but like regional like Mm -hmm. just to baltimore i heard it aired just before american bandstand oh okay uh and it was called the buddy dean show and yeah, it was essentially American Bandstand, but like based out of Baltimore. So like Baltimore kids would be on it. Like you could go and audition or try and dance on the show. But they had like colored dance, which was like the last Thursday of every month or something like that, where they'd let color people on. But even then it was like colored people would dance on one side and then they'd have just white folks on the other side. Race- <laughs> racism. <laughs> which it's like... John Waters is still alive. Like, this is in people's lifetime that they would televise segregation, that it was completely acceptable and encouraged. It's wild. Yeah. 
one thing that really struck me about watching this movie, there's the moment when they're doing the um, like tweener day and it's like all everybody's like younger kids dancing on the show. Yeah. And the young black girl wants to come on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, I'm sorry, but preteen days, a white only show. Negro day is the end of the month. And um, Corny Collins is like, so let her in for God's sakes. And then, you know, the, the TV executive guy's like, absolutely not. Baltimore is not ready for integrated dancing. After that happens, you know, he cuts to Corny Collins' face and then he cuts to the all the white children dancing together and like without words, you know that it's like Corny Collins is putting it together like, "Oh, we're teaching racism." Yeah. Like it's all wordless and it's just the way the film is made that you get all that and I just was so impressed with the filmmaking at that point. I was just like, "Wow, no, he's really able to convey this message wordlessly yeah because john waters like he's not like a virtuoso filmmaker like a scorsese or something like that but hairspray it started really with like polyester that like that was the movie that had like his first crane shot Mm -hmm. but with hairspray he really stuck it to all the people who thought that he was just shock yeah he's like no i can make a movie just like anybody else and just as good as anybody else yeah and guess what i can also make it family friendly (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yours (laughs) i had put off watching this for years someone had said like oh that was like when john waters hit the mainstream and in my mind i equated that like oh that's when john waters sold out Mm -hmm. so it took me years and years and years and i don't know what finally made me watch this movie but you know just six months ago is the first time that i did And I'm like, oh, no, this is John Waters going mainstream, but that is not John Waters selling out. Yeah. Because he doesn't pull punches. Like, you know, especially like Blondie and Sonny Bono uh, are crazy racists. (laughs) Crazy racists. Well, personally, I have nothing against them. It's, It's merely a matter of economics. The Tilted Acres will never be integrated. Segregation today. Segregation tomorrow. Segregation forever. They're worried that if you do integration at their amusement park, that that's going to lower their uh, sales for some reason. Like, I don't understand that mentality. There's no real good logic with that sort no, of stuff. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, also, I love Blondie. Apparently, she was the only one that got to wear wigs. Everyone else's hair is real. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, she had those like one that looked like a wave. <laughs> Uh, well, of course, then she has the the bouffant that has the bomb in it. Uh-huh. This is a really good example of, you know, going mainstream without compromising what you want to say. Yeah. And I haven't seen the musical. I haven't either. So I don't know how... I could see why people would want it that way, though, because it is a very musical movie. Mm-hmm. There's lots of dancing, uh-huh. um, lots of great tunes. So I could I could kind of see why you'd want to turn it into a musical. Yeah, and it it's sort of the perfect love letter. You know, because you know, the, the idea is that music helped break down racial barriers. Right. And he does it without like slapping you in the face with it i mean the other moment that i felt was like an excellent filmmaker moment was when they go to like the black dance and like that guy comes on and actually starts singing the song oh yeah and you realize that's the first time we see a black person singing we've Mm. been hearing black music this whole movie and then finally you realize like oh no this is coming from a person Mm -hmm. like it's suddenly humanizes that so 
precisely that like it makes the movement the moment so moving you know <laughs> like i don't know i was just I, it just really hit me that like these white kids are happy to commodify this music as mm-hmm. long as it doesn't like interfere and we don't have to recognize that it's you know a black person that's singing this and then like to show somebody singing it you're like oh shit no this is like this is what you're doing you're mm-hmm. you're commodifying this so, yeah i don't know i thought that was great yeah. moment. This is another point that it feels so ahead of its time, but there's sort of like the fat power aspect yeah! of it. Which it's like, you know, now we have, you know, Shrill based on Lindy West book, like and it's like a big deal that like a fat girl is starring in a show about being fat. Like yeah. that's a big deal. And I'm watching this movie's thirty years old now. Yeah. And that was one of the big like they even talk about like, oh, she'll be on TV and other girls like her will see her on TV. Yeah. And just John Waters knew back then how important representation is. Definitely. And I don't know. It the fact that he was already doing this sort of thing thirty years ago just shows like how clear eyed he is about you know the the values or or systems that we have in place that tell us like you know what's acceptable on television or not right you know he was able to see through all that shit and i don't know he saw it here and it he doesn't like rub our face in it but you know he's not shoving us our faces into a bowl of dog food or anything <laughs> There was no reason for him to make it about a fat girl. Like, he could have just easily picked some skinny white girl. Well, I think that it maybe there is a little bit because then it like it gives Tracy that edge she needs to get on the show. Mm. That audition scene to get on. It's like Penny, uh, Tracy, and then that one black girl. Uh-huh. And like, that black girl's a better dancer than Tracy. Yeah. Like, it's pretty obvious to me when i was watching it i was like she's the one who should be on the show and she's more charismatic and i don't know blah 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 but like you know they attack tracy after that yeah aren't you a little fat for the show that's enough amber i would imagine that many of the home viewers are also pleasantly plump or chunky oh come on the show's not filmed in cinemascope you're out of line amber and i think that it might not have happened for her if she wasn't like a big girl mm, and also okay. i think that like it makes um her more maybe more sympathetic to other discriminated groups like they're like oh yeah well you kind of understand where we're coming from a little more mm-hmm. so i think i don't know i think it's an important aspect to it and i like that once she gets a hold of the reins like she doesn't let go like she takes the moment like when she gets to, like uh do the ladies choice dance yeah yeah, yeah. Like she lives it up, and I love the slow dance scene <laughs> when the uh, yeah Peggy or Penny just leans over and goes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's another thing, and this kind of goes along with Desperate Living, where he doesn't follow like traditional plot structure. When you watch this movie, you kind of get the impression at first that like it's going to be a journey of hers getting on the show. Sure. And she gets on the show at the end of the first act. Yeah. So it's like, oh shit, now where's this movie going to go? And then of course, you know, he takes it and turns it into like a bigger thing, which is great. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's not where I was expecting it to go. And same story with Desperate Living. This is just I thought they were that, you know, Peggy and Griselda were going to be our main characters and they are not. They're actually are well one of them's a villain and one ends up dying midway through. So it's <laughs> yeah. like uh, I don't know. I like that unconventional narrative style. Sure. With Hairspray, you know, you don't think about it, but 
there is a sort of politics in hair. You know, if Obama had grown a fro, like, can you imagine the shitstorm? Oh, my God. Like, or even if Michelle Obama had, like, nappy hair, you know? Yeah, like... Forget about it. No, like, they would have been labeled Black Panther, Muslim, terrorist. Like, they already were, yeah. just by being them. But, yeah, if Obama had let his hair grow out, like, one inch, like, the shitstorm that would have followed would have been enormous. Yeah. And... You know, I remember watching that documentary, uh, Good Hair, the Chris Rock documentary. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And it's like, you know, the statement that, uh, like, putting relaxer in your hair makes. Well, I mean, that's in, like, Malcolm X, too. One of the big turning points for his character in that movie is, like, when he stops using relaxer and lets his afro grow. Mm. And they use the term hair hopper in this. You look like a hair hopper to me. Which I had to look it up, but it's a someone who spends a lot of time on their hair to look like they belong to a higher class of people. Mm. And it's meant to infer that, like, oh, she's just trying to look good, like she's part of high society but isn't. Yeah. That's another one of those things that John Waters was able to kind of see through the bullshit. You're like, oh, you think that, like, hair is just a, a, a part of, like, just personal beautification or something like that. But, like, no, there's, like, a statement in there. Like, it... Hairspray itself, because every, like you can't get your hair that high <laughs> without a lot of hairspray. And right. even like guys used a bunch of hairspray at the time. And I think that's why the beatniks are in the movie. Because it's like after that, both uh, Tracy and Penny, her friend, stop doing their big hair. They like mm. let it go down. So it's like they're sort of like this sign of the times. Like we're moving forward kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so like instead of this big bouffant hairstyles that required a lot of hairspray now they require irons yeah i mean i don't know when the the change happened but it did seem like it was fairly quickly that they went from the big beehive hairs to just yeah like crimped or or flattened hair straight down yeah that's what i took the title that was going to be a big question for you it's like what do you think the title of this movie means oh but um (laughs) sorry we got there no we we did a jeopardy style (laughs) um to me that's another pinpoint that like john waters kind of sees everyday things in a different way from you or i like we see hair and we think it's an extension of fashion but he sees it and he knows that it's like an expression where your social class almost a little bit and yeah i mean everyone's hair in this was real except for debbie harry's and with like i guess uh ricky lake cried when she saw her blondish like oh the no blonde, she was like i hate this <laughs> and because it was actually dye they didn't just like paint it for the movie she's like i have to live with this now <laughs> she looks great whatever yeah no. especially when it was down like, and i mean it did wonders for her career too being in the movie so i think she got over it but yeah. she hadn't seen a john waters movie i think oh maybe how old is she in this movie she's like 18 Okay. Well, maybe, maybe better maybe, that she hadn't seen a John Waters yeah. movie then. Yeah. And John Waters didn't want her to see any. He's like, I don't want to scare this one off. I like her. <laughs> uh, but like after they'd wrapped up filming, John Waters like got her like copies of his other movies and was like, now you can watch these. <laughs> now that everything's said and done. Do you think she was like, oh, fuck. What yeah. have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I watch it and especially watching it with Desperate Living, you just get that feel that Oh, John Waters was a great director. Like, he was confined by budget in those early movies. But when he actually had room to work with, and because, you know, supposedly he had such a good work ethic, by the time he actually had a full budget to work with, 
he knew what to do. Took the time to plan it out and make it, yeah, make it right. And, yeah, it shows in this movie. Sonny Bono's running for mayor while in this movie. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and he won! <laughs> this one was also filmed on location in Baltimore. In Baltimore. I love the shots, uh, exterior shots of Tracy Turnblatt's apartment mm. with the joke shop. Oh, yeah. Like, both both times we see it, uh, it just looks great to me. I don't know. Like, there's the, the one when they first show up. At the very beginning, and it's like after school, and they're running to go see the Corny Collins show. Mm-hmm. And then after she's on the Corny Collins show, we see um, Penny running and like shouting up to her mom, and just like I don't know, it looks great. Like to me, it looks so real, but mm-hmm. also like artistically framed. I don't know, it looks it looks good to me. What did you think of our leading hottie, Link Larkin? Would bang, would not bang. Uh, wait, which one was he? Not Corny Collins. He was... He was the one who got his kneecaps busted at the end. Uh, I would quit it. Quit it? I didn't think he was that attractive. Mm, even the way he moved his body? I know you <laughs> like dancers. <laughs> I do like dancers, it's true. No, uh, I thought Corny Collins was cuter than him. Mm-hmm, Corny Collins was kind of cute, yeah. I hate saying this, but he kind of had, like, duh face to me. <laughs> I don't know. Da-doy. Da-doy. This is another great production design. I mean, um... Uh, the Turnblatt house is amazing. <laughs> I love, I don't know if you noticed this, but on their coffee table, they had like a weird little, um, it looked like a hamster ball, <laughs> but I, I didn't notice. I paused cause I was like, what the hell is that? And on further inspection, I think it's a nut dispenser. <laughs> like a it had a nut l- dispenser. Yeah. It had, it was like a hamster ball with like a little wire frame, like thing to, to stand it on and then it had like a little nozzle that you like i guess would turn down and like pour out nuts and then you just put it back up oh i've seen stuff like that in people's houses that like have like m&ms and things in them so but like a big ball yeah like that's big a big globe. ball mm-hmm. like yeah there's mm-hmm. like a lever or something that yeah. yeah but that's kitschy oh yeah i don't know for certain something tells me john waters loved joke shops like growing up <laughs> uh-huh. yeah he seems like the type that would go in for that sort of bullshit like mm-hmm. kitschy dollar crap like like in peewee's big adventure when he goes to the joke shop and he's like i got some new stuff for you peewee i bet that's like john waters going to a joke shop <laughs> his movies are kind of like mad magazine come to life a, a little, little bit, bit yeah so. i could see that yeah i don't think he's really gotten the credit that he's due because his movies have that transgressive quality about them that he, he's so confrontational mm-hmm. you know in desperate living we were talking about like this is trans exploitative and things like that. Like even some of his allies might have trouble defending his, you know, entire projects. Yeah. But they're supposed to be shocking. They're supposed to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Those early works are anyway. Yeah. And And I think maybe hairspray is a little bit too, but if you're a racist, (laughs) well, I think with hairspray, he'd gotten older. He maybe calmed down or maybe just didn't have the appetite to have, you know, dog shit eating scenes anymore but it's not like he's pulling a punch yeah like, or maybe it's like meant to make people his age feel uncomfortable about their memories sure sure you know which is even more transgressive when you think about it yeah we should have every mega hat wearing person watch hairspray <laughs> see what they feel about it i mean it's like the musical probably helps and then uh this live television broadcast that just happened oh i, I missed that 
Yeah, just like two years ago or something. What's his name? Uh, Harvey Firstein played the mom. So oh, okay, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I do want to see the uh, movie musical with uh, John Travolta and uh, Charlie St. Cloud himself, Zac Efron as <gasps> Corny Collins. No, yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, I remember because John Travolta is always like you know running away from those rumors that he's closeted. But then I guess like he fought for this the role. I mean, John. <laughs> There's photos of you like making out with men. Is there? Yeah. Oh, I've heard like he can't get a massage in Hollywood anymore because he asked for exclusively male masseuses, and that he's like groped all of them in massage. So like he's been like blackballed from <laughs> massage parlors. Scientology. It's not all religion is a cult. Everyone, uh-huh. just uh, just putting that out there again. I'm gonna make T-shirts one day that just say that. But like all religions are cults. Yeah, too bad he didn't reject age. them. Is where I'm going with that. <laughs> too bad he didn't age as well as Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the same age as Wilfred Brimley in Cocoon. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Bullock currently. One year younger than B. Arthur when she started Golden Girls. God, weird. Can you imagine B. Arthur in Gravity? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, yeah. (laughs) She's like, get out of here, George. (laughs) She pushes him away. (laughs) Uh, I'm better off fending for myself. (laughs) You know... I don't know. People age differently nowadays. Yeah, yeah it's true. Anyway, hairspray. Hairspray. <laughs> Racism <laughs> solved. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, even though I just watched these movies like four or five months ago, I happily revisited them. Me too. I liked them both. I had a great time watching both of them. So I mentioned earlier my friend Anouk, who did the art show at Pony. He likes to use the line a lot from this movie of Don't run, Tracy. You'll fall. You have heels on. You'll fall, honey. And I thought that was funny. I didn't realize that was from this movie until I watched it. Uh, Ricky Lake had never worn heels before. Divine taught her how to oh, walk in heels. Oh, maybe that was improvised. How sweet would that be? For that, uh, the scene where they're walking to like the hairdresser. Um, and they're both wearing heels. And then that was the first time that Ricky Lake had ever... Worn heels. Oh, yeah. That's such a touching moment too. When they when she tries to pull her into the beauty shop, and she's like, "No, I can't." <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. Divine comes across as just real sweet in this. Yeah, and Divine's great in this movie. When she's dancing at the end, or she's got the bug. Yeah, I don't know. Something about it. I was like, "Oh, my heart hurts a little bit." Like knowing that this is like the last screen shot. Like, this is the last scene of Divine in a movie ever. Yeah. Well, I have a question that I just remembered now. Um, Link is in a wheelchair when they're announcing the um, the winner of the Miss Auto show, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like, not five minutes later, he's up doing the bug. <laughs> well, you know, when the you know, it's like Gloria Stefan said, the rhythm will get you. <laughs> And, and she got hit by a bus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. She did, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. And then she came out of the dark, and uh, everything was fine. 
you know, once the, the rhythm gets you, there's just no letting it go. <laughs> Thanks, John Waters. We love you. We do love you. Oh, fun little thing here. Um, this is the second time that we've done a tribute to someone close to their birthday. Oh, because really? Because John Waters' birthday is April 22nd, so this will come out two weeks before that. But uh, when we come back from our season break, it'll be his birthday. Wow. I know. Unbeknownst. Well, expect to get tweeted at John Waters. Yeah. I hope he has a Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What are we going to be doing when we come back from our season break, Matt? We're doing a bunch of gay movies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start us off with a truly terrible movie. Okay. Like, this will scare you off movies. It's so bad and make you forget why you love them to begin with. Oh, God. Just like getting it, getting the bad stuff out at the beginning, and in the end, and <laughs> all through the middle. Sure. And okay. Yeah, I'm gonna do a horrible movie that no one's ever heard of called Altitude Falling. Okay. <laughs> Which, oh my god, it is mind-bogglingly bad, <laughs> and I'm upset that I'm having to watch it again. Oh no! But I'm real excited to talk about it with someone. <laughs> I will happily take that bullet for you, Matt. <laughs> um, might be a little hard to come by. I don't know. I'll, I'll do some research, but uh, you know, there's a local video store here in town. <laughs> it goes by the name of Scarecrow Video. You heard of it? <laughs> yeah, I have, in fact, heard of it. Oh, okay. I, you know, they they really pride themselves on how many titles they actually have in physical media. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling they'll probably have it. I have a feeling you're right there, Ryan. But yeah, it's a dystopian gay mystery mm. um that uh yeah i'm well curious to find out what your opinion is can't wait to watch it i'm uh, i'm excited to do this this season of racing to the bottom yeah <laughs> Tra- I, we haven't even come up with a title for it but it's just going to be trashy gay cinema we talk about how oh we love trashy gay movies but like we don't really do a ton on this podcast and it's fun it's gonna be fun to well i guess i should mention i'm gonna be jumping on this train with you yeah because uh i've got you know i've got a well i can pull from too yeah if there if there is one single genre that you and i have both mined (laughs) for their glory it would be trashy gay movies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i'm not starting us out with a gem but we're gonna like get lit talking about it. You know, I feel that like I am infinitely patient with bad movies, mm-hmm. and this movie tests the limits of infinity. Ooh, that's the tagline, right? <laughs> yeah. This could be one of those movies where you're just like you're like looking at the clock and like this is my life. <laughs> this whole podcast has been a mistake. Uh, would you care to plug our junk and then get the fuck out of here? Well, we have finished the chicken dinner or picnic, whatever it is. It's been a long time since I've watched that episode now.
Follow us on Twitter at xratedmovies. Follow us on Facebook at ratedxmovies. And shoot us a little old email at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Give us questions to talk about during opening banter or suggestions. We also would love it if you're appreciating this content and our lovely golden-hued voices. Uh, why don't you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave some reviews and some stars. Uh, we're still looking to get five reviews that say Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart Blumpkin. So we just got to make that a hashtag. Come on, team. You can do it. Team Blumpkin, go! <laughs> Also, check out our website. We have a great website. It's xratedmovies.com. Lots of good stuff on there. All of our content. Everything. Everything, everything. And we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah. Until then, keep, keep reaching, reaching for, for that, that rainbow. rainbow.